Right, what's going on? How's it going, everybody? It's Daniel Caldron here on the podcast, Corner Talks. I have my friend Amika. How are you, buddy? Good, man. How are you doing? Good, man. It's been a long time. I was just, I just realized uh, we've known each other uh, around a year now. Around this time of year, uh, this is when we first connected. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I remember we connected. We met up in the city and uh, yeah, you reached out and we were just kind of like uh, bouncing ideas off each other and kind of figuring out where we, where our paths are in in the, in the whole career of filmmaking and where we want to, where, where we see ourselves in the near future. Uh, But we did not expect a pandemic. That's for sure. Because when we were talking, there was uh, no sight of it. (laughs) Coronavirus, the coronavirus was just, um, you know, just another piece of news. Um, but yeah, so we've been friends for a year. We've done, uh, we've been collaborating on a project, um, that we plan to continue this year. And I guess my first question for you would be like, what made you get into filmmaking? What made you get into this sort of career, the film industry? Oh, that's a really big question. And but an important question, right? Cause I think everyone has their uh, their origin story of course you want to say uh, i think for me it's just like you know i'm sure as a kid you, you grew up watching a lot of movies mm-hmm. you know so i remember watching like I, we watched all types of movies at my house mm-hmm. you know from movies from the golden age all the way up to like horror films you know and um for me i just like being exposed to that as a kid and and, and growing up and then when i got to high school taking film classes and, and, st- and studying film and, and learning the, the art of it really drew me closer to really wanting to get into that uh, field. So it's nice. always been how my interest started for the most part, yeah. Sure, is, it, is there like a certain like actor or kind of filmmaker that, you, that inspired you or made you take that leap or was it kind of just the, the, film, the, the art form itself, would you say? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I have a good, I've definitely a number of uh, artists who I, who definitely inspire me, like, you know, people like Denzel and Sidney Poitier and, and okay. Harrison Ford, just that, just, you know, Spielberg. I love Spielberg movies just because it's movies, something, yeah. They're whimsical, so magical, right? something so magical about it. Hmm? Mm-hmm. I was going to say whimsical. That's the term that the people, yeah, some whimsical. YouTubers use, right? When they're reviewing his films, they always say very whimsical and um oh man it, like i said endearing and you just uh, it's always coming of age too there's always that element um you know you just connect them i very they're very nostalgic you know you think of jurassic park and jaws like those kinds of movies because mm-hmm. they bring you back when either your parents showed you or just you, you watched them yourself growing up for me movies have always um i kind of always been interested in movies because of my parents they just sat me down had no choice i was like just a newborn and uh, they explained to me they would they would have this thing where every Saturday night they would just watch movies, and then when I was born, they just said, you know, we'll we'll keep them beside us. And they said I just gravitated to the screen, and I just enjoyed, um, you know, what a movie was all about, and being lost in those like I shouldn't say lost, but being uh, immersed in those uh, two hours, you know, that escapism. Uh, that's something that drew me. And then you know, my uh, hero or my you know idol that I look at is Tarantino. So it's been a combination of that. And he pulled me more towards the writer director aspect um, because I never really understood what the roles are in film. I just knew I loved movies. I never knew what you could do with them. And right. 
so for me, that's why I, I pulled towards the whole writer director side. You classify yourself as all different hats. Like you, you do the writing, the directing, producing, acting, but would you say you're primarily an actor or is that something you're more passionate about? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, being more passionate about and, and actually doing, I think are two different things. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of actors today, unfortunately are forced to wear multiple hats, you know, um, just because of the way the industry is, right? We have, like how you said, um, with, with, with social media and with, um, you got like TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, all these uh, mediums that we can now express ourselves. And so what that means is that like, if people can gain followers pretty easily now and right. following a fan base, you are now at the mercy of like, kind of starting your own thing you know, and getting noticed that way. Mm -hmm. Long gone are the days where you can just uh, kind of just go and just be an actor. Like, you know, you have to like now forge your own path. Mm -hmm. And part of forging your own path is being a creator, you know, and creating is the writing, the directing, the acting, the producing, all of that, mm -hmm. as you know. So it's- Yeah, uh, I was gonna agree with you on that. Sorry, go ahead, what were you saying? So it's a definitely a balance, definitely a balance. Yeah, but I'm glad you brought that up, man, because that's very important, especially if people listening have any interest in film or that sort of career is, you know, I was talking about with my family the other day is when I was growing up, not that I was special or anything, but when I said I wanted to be a filmmaker, like I was a kid, like no one, I, I was like unique, like no one had any intention of being anything creative, like maybe theory I grew up, but there was just no, and also we, I didn't have Instagram, right? We, Instagram came later in my life when I was a teenager. So when I was going around saying, oh, I love to be a director or I would make little films or just, you know, be part of, you know, write stories. I always felt like unique in that way. And not that, you know, we're all unique in our own way. Not that it's, there's anything that's been taken away, but you look at Instagram, you look at social media. And like you said, you, you realize like to, to get to that level um, or, or to get to that path, to, to pursue a career in that, it takes a lot of hustle, um, a lot of ambition. And there's a lot of different hats you have to wear, like, like you were saying. My point, I guess, what I'm trying to say is if you could pick one role, if tomorrow they said this is the role that you stick with the rest of your life for filmmaking, what would it be? Would it be the writer, the director, the actor? Hmm. Uh, man, I, you know what? I would honestly just say I'm a storyteller, if I had to be very honest with you. I, know, good, it, I, know, it, I know it's not necessarily like... Uh, within the confines of what you gave me, but uh, definitely mm -hmm. I think that would be the storyteller. I think that's pretty much what I'd say. I like that because I, I probably can, I resonate with that a lot. And I, I have a lot of friends too, that they start off as acting, but they wear all hats and it's because they enjoy filmmaking. They enjoy the process. They enjoy telling stories at the end of the day. And mm -hmm. I believe, you know, the best actors too, um, directors say this all the time are the ones that understand how a story is constructed, how it's executed, right? It's not just they show up for the lines and they repeat them and then they go home, right? They actually are involved exactly. in the process, like Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Uh, the reason why Scorsese loves working with him is because even Alejandro Iñárritu, he says he's amazing at, he's always asking questions. He's always saying, mm -hmm. can we set it up like this? And like throwing in um, ad-lib remarks because they understand the story. They understand what the audience uh, wants uh, out of a scene or you know what drives a character, what motivates them. And that's what brings gives the character gives the person adversity right i mean adversity, right yeah like able to handle different things on set 
I, I think it's very important that, you know, artists of today are able to have a general knowledge of all di different positions because I think that gives you a bit of awareness and uh, more of an understanding of like, okay, I think as if you're an actor and you understand how the director thinks, then you're you're gonna that's gonna tailor to your your how you work. Yeah. You know, maybe you know what I mean you understand how the cameras how you're playing to the camera, how the camera's capturing you. So I think it's like pretty pretty important. So. Yeah, it's all a cycle, really. Everything's interconnected, I believe. Um, it's not like you can do one thing and it's independent from everything else. Um, the way a film set works, as you should know, right, is you can't, you, you can't be doing anything. You can't abandon your other colleagues. You have to work alongside each other. And the movies that we see that are done poorly is it because they're pulled apart or they're revisited. Mm -hmm. uh, something I'll be discussing with you later is the DC universe, right? We've seen that with Justice League, the last Justice League, right? That's exactly what happened is that there's too many moving parts there's too many people coming in and out and there's not one kind of vision like unison mm -hmm. and the reason why we have this remake right or re i should say a re-edit is <laughs> because um of how how poorly it, it done but you could you could differ on that because i know you're a huge dc fan and i love to hear your thoughts but um what do you feel, find is more challenging like do you find social media is very challenging as creatives or do you feel it's benefiting us in your experience that's the thing i mean it's to me it's like uh the yin and the yang so as much as i say like you know there's some difficulty of perhaps being an artist i think it's been pretty helpful at the same time as an artist because now it's like you know you have um people are getting access to you that you necessarily wouldn't have access to mm -hmm. in in uh, the generation before us you know so the the great thing is that i think that uh you, you kind of have a freedom of of, uh, of creativity, you know, on social media. Yeah, of course. That's great. So, I always I always tell people, um, okay, I think of take a musicians today, artists, musicians today, right? So, um, one rapper, what's his name? I think Tyler the Creator. Okay. I was reading. I was reading him, reading his bio the other day, and um, I always tell people about this guy because he. Originally, when he started, like he wasn't catering. He was interested in catering to what was kind of popular per se. Mm -hmm. You know, he's very much interested in um, creating music that he liked and his and his people who were creating with him at the time liked. Right. And from that, he grew his own fan base. Now, I think that's pretty cool because, like I said, long gone the days where you had to cater to certain groups and all that. Like that's still very much a thing to a degree mm -hmm. right. but there's now room for other stuff to come in and to have a have a life if that makes sense and i think that's where social media comes into play here today well creating a creating a niche market um and, and that following um and then you can grow from there kind of thing right like when joe rogan started it was mostly for like people in comedy or just i guess for men it was very you know uh, testosterone driven he was always talking about mma and UFC and all that stuff. And then he was explaining that he would branch off into explaining about conspiracies and we talk about politics and we talk about uh, relationship dynamics and the importance of, you know, keeping fit. And again, now it's the number one podcast in the world for a reason is because it grew to mainstream, right? It started yeah. off very niche and then now it's mainstream. And back to your point is that that's how kind of we have to look at it. I always tell my friends and colleagues, people in the industry is what I'm doing right now, it may be small, but this is 
the steps into building, you know, a bigger audience, right? You have to start really small. You have to kind of create a following and just inch by inch by inch and just let people know what you're all about. Uh, another example I would give is, you know, Gary Vee's <laughs> interesting character, but uh, he says a lot of um, points that hit hard and he always says the market will decide, right? Mm. Um, there's Very no true. judgment, no matter what color you are, no matter, you know, what religion you practice, the market will decide. The market doesn't give a, <laughs> like an F. And he says, you know what I mean? Like he was yelling once and he went on a rant and he's like, you know, he, they don't care if you're an alien, a fucking, a tree, the market, if, if you're good, the market likes you. And it's like, yeah, you know what? It makes sense. Like you see it all the time. Like the content that gets likes or goes viral, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, Yeah, some of it's uh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> some of it's interesting. Yeah, for sure, right? Um, yeah. Are you Are you on TikTok by any chance? Are you... Making a uh, I have like a like a small account, but it's it's not something I use. Not as much, like, no. Uh, no, no. I think I posted maybe a couple times, but that's. Well, and then you just took it down because you realized you have to do too much twerking. Or oh, it's a lot of work. <laughs> Honestly, I think as a as a content creator on yeah, like YouTube or TikTok or any of those platforms, mm-hmm. it's a lot of work. It's no, hundred percent. You know, um, I I I struggled a lot with kind of adapting. To, like you said, like YouTube and, and TikTok for a while, because I was trying to figure mm-hmm. out how can I, the important thing is to keep consistent or find a way to, right. you know, right. Um, and that's why, you know, we all stop and say, oh, I, I'm done with posting is because there's only so many ideas you have, or, mm-hmm. you know, it's also a different, it's also an awkward platform, right? Like, as, again, as storytellers, how do you get a message across, especially us that like to tell deep stories, like in a minute, you know what I mean? Or something captivating. So that's why I started these vlogs, right? And these, these corner talks, whether it's the podcast or just discussing things that can help people, whether it's in the film business, mental health. Um, so I guess it's just finding different avenues um, mm. to stay creative. Because people think, the reason why I say this is because people think with TikTok, you need to do dance videos and you need to do all these comedy sketches. But in reality, you can just really post anything as long as it has some meaning or is entertaining at the very least, right? I so, think the, I was going to say though, I, I also think, I don't know if it's the actual creation that's the hard part per se, but it's more so just being able to stay relevant. And and that's the hard thing because it's like, let's say, okay, let's say I made a video today and it's just a silly video of me drinking water and I spill the water on me. Right. Like it's, it's you know, it's short, it's, it could be funny. Right. But the unfortunate thing is that, well, there's two other people who have maybe similar videos have done who go the extra step that I didn't go. Mm-hmm. And now that's popular. And now it's almost like you can, you're trying to find a way to outdo other people, right? But I think the most important thing is that if you are a content creator, that you're doing your best to kind of follow your own path. That's really... Well, that's why... Well, I, I get what you're saying. That's why for me, the whole creation part's more... For me, it, it's more difficult because I couldn't care less. Like with the whole relevance thing, it goes back to the niche market and it goes back to if the market likes you, they like you, right? Like obviously you don't want to post things that don't pertain to your brand. But at the end of the day, it's like, like you said, you're drinking a glass of water and you're right. There's so many people. There's so many people for me that they're doing videos, uh, mm-hmm. you know, more stylized editing. I've talked about mental health and whatever, but I still get, you know, a following. I still get likes because it speaks speaking to someone. And I think that's what it is, is that a lot of creators struggle with that because we're just so overexposed to all the, all these creators and, and these social media platforms. Mm-hmm. We feel, you know what I mean? Intimidated. I know speaking from my experience, I, I felt like that for the longest time, but then I tell myself the only way I'm going to 
make some progress is if I just put myself out there and then I learn, I, I figure out where I went wrong and then I, you know, fix it. And then I go back and then I fix it again. And it's all about adjusting and adapting, right? Like for example, with TikTok, right? You might say, oh, I, I tried it a few times and it's not for me. And then in a year you get some inspiration and you do like, you know, selfie videos where you're just basically like pumping everybody up, like stop sleeping in, wake up. <laughs> Cause I see them all the time. They're literally yelling at the camera, but, they're <laughs> but you know what I mean? But they have, they're so charismatic. And, yeah. and like I said, I could see you doing something like not obviously yell, you're not that kind of guy, but you know, you might find some, some, some point in your life, you know, cause we're always changing. Right. And we always go through experiences. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's why, why I started my whole motivational videos is I, I would watch them on YouTube and say, you know what, like, I love this. Like I would actually sit and, and listen to people talking about, you know, what their routine is like and, you mm -hmm. know, how they, how they overcame a creative obstacle. And, you know, I just, anything to help people. Right. So you just got to find your niche, your avenue, and just kind of create a market or some sort of audience. Like you said, with Tyler, the creator. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it always stems back to whatever works for you. My whole thing is don't do something that, you know, you're not comfortable with, or you're doing just for the sake of being viral or being popular. Right. Like when TikTok first came out, I was, I'm like, Oh my God, I got to do it. Do I got to do a dance video? Like, I don't know how to dance. <laughs> and then I realized, no, like, there's other, yeah, I, I'm gonna be honest when it first came out, especially when the pandemic started, like that's all I would see. Um, Cause you know, they, they send you, it's part of the algorithm. Right. And then as time passed, I realized, wow, there's people talking about, you know, their lives or their business. And uh, especially with filmmaking, they help, they do all kinds of edits. So I guess as long as you're alive, you're always be relevant. <laughs> that's my my attitude. Yeah, right? totally. I, yeah I, I agree with that. That's a good good point. Yeah. I was going to ask you. I know I know it's as early in our conversation. For but sure. I'm going to ask sure. you. Um, what was it about Tarantino that really drew you to him? You know, yeah. he's, he's such a he's such a a left field director mm -hmm. out of all, all the, the the I guess the popular ones we would have been exposed to growing mm -hmm. up. So. Of course. So yeah, growing up, uh, I'm glad you asked that. Thanks, man. So growing up, I uh, always been a fan of uh, Spielberg, um, like Scorsese kind of thing. Maybe Scorsese later on, but pretty much those directors, uh, the the common ones, like I guess Robert Zemeckis, like you know, watching mm -hmm. Forrest Gump and Back to the Future. Like I was never really introduced to Pulp Fiction or those kinds of movies. They're only ten movies, and they're his movies, right? It's not like he branched off and did a whole bunch of other ones. So I guess what I'm saying is when I, I started gravitating more to him, when I began getting really serious about how do I pursue a career in film or how do I make this passion come to life, this dream of mine. And I remember I was 17, 18, and I sat down to write my like first feature length screenplay. And I was telling a buddy on the last podcast, they're like passion projects because what I'm doing is I'm developing my craft and then I plan to, I don't have any interest in selling them yet or like kind of, you know, passing them along because I'm trying to see if I can get to a point where I can make it myself, like direct them and, you know what I mean, um, with the experience behind the camera. But um, when I started writing the script and I started, you know, going through dialogue, I, I never understood what all those dynamics meant. Mm. And when I was, when I was listening to how people would review like Tarantino films and I was watching his movies, I started to like fall in love with this whole idea that, again, like you said, he's so different that I love, I studied marketing for a reason. I love the idea that it's branded, like you watch it and it's like, you could tell it's his movie and other directors are successful with this too. David Fincher and Scorsese, 
Um, but he, like you said, he has this niche where it's like the characters belong to him and everything's in a universe and mm-hmm. there's a certain style, that, like a ring to the dialogue and how character, there's always a, a revenge tale. You know what I mean? Like there's always like a, an undertone of revenge or violence. And I'm saying my movies, I plan them to be always about revenge or violence. It's just the idea. I really was infatuated with this whole idea of dialogue and the way characters speak and how it flows and, you know, how, how the script was constructed. And you would probably agree with me on this too, is that the most important thing in filmmaking people need to understand is the story. And the story is the most important thing. And that's why I was drawn to him is that he's a storyteller first. He always says that I'm a writer first and then a director. And I never really understood that, right? Because I always saw directors, they pick up a script and they, they direct it. But I like the idea that he creates these stories from his imagination. So with, with Tarantino, he was, um, he was an inspiration for that. He was, his story of how he became a filmmaker is inspiring. And I can, you know, see myself following the same path. I'm not saying I'll get to his, I don't know if I'll get to his level, but the idea that he didn't go to film school because I was rejected from film school. The idea that he made it on his own merit, he made it on his own imagination again, inspires me and it tells me like, you know, there's a possible way. Now he's a one in a billion, right? But there's other filmmakers too that haven't gone to film school or haven't, you know, really t- taken any sort of training, but their passion is so great. They overcome those obstacles. Mm-hmm. I mean, like he, he has a quote where he says, he has two quotes that always, you know, stay with me. One is, I didn't go to films, I went to film school. I mean, sorry, I didn't go to film school, I went to films. And the other quote was, um, if you're really pa- if you're truly passionate about pa- if you're truly passionate about cinema, you can't help but make a, a good movie or a good story. <laughs> and they're very simple. They're very simple quotes. I but I like the one. What? Yeah, they're very simple quotes. Something like that on along those lines. But yeah, I like I like that he's he's ballsy. He does he does he gets to do whatever he wants. I'm not saying again very lucky or i guess he was in a situation where weinstein at the time when before he was convicted <laughs> gave him that power mm-hmm. um but i like that he's able to he's like a true artist like a true storyteller and that's how i see myself as is keeping it authentic as possible and not you know s- straying from the script as much as it's good to again i'm i'm a big uh, supporter of collaboration and you know adhering to changing things and tweaking things here and there but when it comes to like, you know, the point where you got like a suicide squad, we got poor David, was David Ayer? Is that the director? David Ayer, yeah, yeah, yeah. David, yeah. The, whole, the whole movie was, you know, completely stripped apart to the point where he had to voice like how much he hated the studio system. And to get to that point, it's like, how bad did you, how, how involved did they get that his vision is not even, it is compromised, right? Mm-hmm. And again, this goes back to Zack Snyder, why he's making the re-edit. Right. There's a petition for that because they want to see people want to see what the what the person's vision was, you know. Well, it's interesting. I think. Um, I mean, the interesting thing with uh, superhero movies is that there's a lot of source material, a lot of source material. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, we've a lot of fans have already been exposed to certain things. This is what we're expecting. And so I think sometimes with the studios they they kind of have a sheet of like okay this is what works this 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 is what doesn't work and they're going with that but when you have art uh an artist like Zack Snyder who comes in and 
who's very much like, he wants to, I mean, he has his vision. He's very, uh, he's a visionary director. I very much think that. And so he comes in and he has his ideas and he's, he, he's using the source material, but he's also expanding on the source material. But the unfortunate thing is that I think uh, not, not everyone's gonna like his taste. You yeah, know, so. that's fair. That's the problem, uh, right? Like you just said it there, um, and which will lead us to, you know, the whole DC comics there, but uh, they, there's so much source material that you're, you're battling your own, your ideas, you're, you're battling, you know, the fans. And this is why with Star Wars, you know, I'm, a, I'm still a fan of Star Wars. I love the story at its core, but, uh, and I can't really forgive what happened with the whole sequel trilogy because I really thought it was going to go in a certain direction. And, and again, it's not because I'm an, I'm an <laughs> you know, it's not because, it's not because I'm a nerdy guy. Like, oh, Luke Skywalker was treated poorly. Like, I, it's more about like, where's the story? Like, if you really rewatch episode eight, like nothing happened. Um, there's no arc. There's no consequence. I don't know. For me, it just, uh, yeah, it didn't really uh, sit with me well. But yeah, my, my biggest, my mm-hmm. big, I mean, I don't get too deep into it, but my biggest beef with uh, like the recent series of Star Wars is just, uh, you know, they they brought in Finn and uh, just not did not utilize him, and to me, it's like you know they 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 set up so much in the Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. And then the new director came in, mm-hmm. right? And Ryan Johnson. Just, yeah, it just, whoa. Well, Finn. And then the last one that came yeah. out, it just, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, with Finn, for me, this is what I mean by nothing happens. Like, things need to happen in movies, like, to leave a mark, like, something with the audience. Like, I'll give an example. At the end of the movie, near the end, he's about to sacrifice himself for the resistance right i don't know how he's, he's gonna like blow up that weapon or something like that like crashes ship into it mm-hmm. and i was like this is a badass scene like if he dies right now th- this is gonna be a memorable scene like people are gonna remember this character you know it's just like it's just powerful it was like really emotional if you rewatch it up until the point when rose interferes and i'm saying like did we need that like that was his moment you know mm-hmm. Kind of like with Han Solo, like in, in episode five, he um, he does a famous line where he's, where she goes, I love you. And he's like, I know. And then he's in, um, what was it called? I don't even know the word. Maybe freeze him. But imagine if like Luke Skywalker jumped in and said no, and he started like defending him and he didn't end up going, like it just ruined, mm-hmm. it would ruin the stakes, like the, the weight, the emotional weight of the scene. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know you bring that up. I don't know if uh, there's any moment, if there are any moments in this recent series of just like, oh, like all fans will remember this, or this is the most powerful scene in each. I don't think that we, we've really had that in this recent series. The only, th- the, only, the only one that I enjoy, I have to say, but it's because I was like, oh my God, this is going to be sick if, you know, something happens in the next one. The ending of the force awakens that scene where she hands him a lightsaber mm. i don't know like my heart was just like yeah this is a sick way to end the movie i originally thought luke was gonna like you know in the scene where finn was uh battling uh, kylo ren in the snow yeah, yeah, yeah. And he lost he lost got his back like sliced but, um i thought when the lightsaber went flying whatever it would or, or he pulled it out of the snow it would be luke skywalker 
um using the force whatever but it would be a little bit oh. too like cheesy like kind of the ending like always oh, showed that'd be, up that'd now. be crazy though <laughs> it would be crazy it would be crazy but crazy. it's i i feel like it would have thrown off like there's a reason why they didn't do it because it would throw mm. off the whole like character like this is their movie not about the older characters but that ending scene where she like gives him the lightsaber and he like has a sign sigh of relief like I still watch that scene and I say to myself, I can't believe the next two movies, like what happened? Like there was just like, I, again, I don't mind where they took the character with Luke. It's just nothing could have happened. Like raiding, we couldn't have gone to the dark side. Not for the sake of going to the dark side. If you watch the movie, she's, she's tempted. She feels abandoned by all the, the good, the good side. The only person that is comforting her the whole movie is Kylo Ren from the dark side. She has sexual tension with him. You know what I mean? Like there's some sort of affection. Um, I don't know why it couldn't work. And then the third one would have been about, you know, them trying to get her back. Like it should have been really dark, man. Like she goes to the dark side, Finn can, like sacrifices himself. And then the next movie would be like the, the last remaining resistance left trying to, you know, defeat the first order mm. and hoping to also bring her to the light side if that's possible. You know what I mean? You didn't need like Darth Sidious and all that stuff. I don't know. That that that's my opinion, but that that goes back to storytelling. Like when you have when we have a powerful story, you don't need all these throwbacks and nostalgic uh, moments. You know, story will speak for itself. Story will speak for itself, man. Like just like the market will determine everything. So. Yeah, and that, and that's what I wanted to ask. So I'm glad you brought up you know all these different. Uh, these past these uh things we love uh, these <laughs> these franchises because i gotta i gotta know this is something i need i've been asking for been wanting to know for a while so why is dc comics your thing oh man i've never seen i've never seen a marvel post so i gotta know why dc is your thing you know what they just honestly they have i think i was exposed mainly to dc for the most part I mean, you know, I think a lot of people enjoy like the X-Men cartoons as, as kids, but uh, man, DC, Batman, Superman, Green Lantern, like all these characters, you know, they just have some really interesting stories, very interesting stories. I think they're very complex. You take someone like Superman, he could, could have very easily been just like, hey, uh, good Boy Scout, that's it, okay. you know, but some of his, uh, I think some of his like, stories well better stories or where he's really dealing with like just that the human aspect uh, human things human things that make right. sense and that relationship with him and lois you know him and his like never knowing uh, still feeling very distant at home because he's an alien mm -hmm. right so of course yeah very people forget he's an alien that, that's funny because i i was one of those where i'm like that because they kept, I think it was Man of Steel. They kept referring to him as an alien, mm -hmm. like from, and I'm like, oh, that's right, he is. Because you get get so caught up in like he's a farm boy, he's with a small family, and you forget like he looks human, but he's not. He's <laughs> from another planet, you know. Yeah, but very, I think very related, relatable to what's happening today. So I would love, I would love for DC to like get more into that, you know. But I think a lot of people are kind of just like I said, there's so much source material out there, so. Um, I think a lot of us are wanting like something very true to the comics for the most part. You well, know, yeah. Also a lot of, you know, black representation and 
um, like films, like I'm enjoying uh, Miles Morales. Like there, I want to see a movie, like a feature film, live action instead of the, the Spider-Verse was beautiful, like top notch uh, style and everything. But now they got to make like a live action one, you know, Green Lantern, right? They had the Ryan Reynolds. Now it's, it's time to bring on Amika. Right. But you know, what's funny though, you know, it's funny though, man, like the Green Lantern is interesting because when the cartoon had been out in the early 2000s, like mm-hmm. the Green Lantern they had was Jon Stewart. So he was, you know, the Marine from Detroit, right? you know, and, and he was part of the representation. Mm-hmm. But then when they announced they were going to do a Green Lantern film and they were going to go with Hal Jordan, it was kind of just like um, a slap in the face. In face. Yeah. Because listen, there, there were fans who were watching that, that, that animation show who had no idea about who Hal Jordan was. That was me. No, I'm, yeah, no, I'm yeah. saying, no, I'm saying, uh, I'm raising my hand back to what you were saying, a slap in the face. When I heard the news, I was like, wait, isn't Green Lantern? Like how I remember Green Lantern, it was from the cartoon and I enjoyed mm-hmm. that. I liked that he was, you know, uh, blackmail, like, you know, representing that and the backstory. So when I heard Ryan Reynolds, I'm like, what? And I knew it was going to be trash from the beginning. And mm-hmm. it's only because I just, I felt there was just something superficial about it like it wasn't um it was just designed to be marketable you know what i mean mm-hmm. um i didn't feel it you know like the trailer like i didn't i didn't feel like that was the character um at the time i thought was it idris elba was he big at the time i swear mm-hmm. I, I said i was suggesting i came on 2011 and he was decently i mean he, he did the wire right so he was very known for the wire right right the wire right and i remember people yeah. were talking i was one of the one of those guys that's like they should cast him i'm even rooting for him to be the next James Bond. I've heard rumors mm. about Tom Hardy, but mm, Tom Hardy is even more rough around the edges than Daniel Craig. And he needs, you know what I mean? Like he needs to have that yeah, polish. Some class, yeah. Yeah, like Tom Hardy's, Tom Hardy's good, but he's just very, um, yeah. He seemed, yeah, he, he doesn't have that polished. He can't pull it off. Daniel Craig was a nice balance. Um, and the reason why people were freaking out when he got cast in Casino Royale is they thought he was just a little bit too rough. But he proved that, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just thinking of, like, the James Bond movie, like, the fact that it keeps getting pushed. Are you a big fan? Are you disappointed that you can't watch it? Yeah, that it's not being, uh, you can't stream it? Uh, (laughs) You know what, man? I'll be very honest with you. I haven't really been the biggest fans of the recent ones, you know, the recent installments. But definitely, you know, I'll definitely check it out. But um, Skyfall, um... I want to interject on that. No, with Skyfall, because you said the last recent ones. You're right about that. Um, Spectre wasn't too bad. Uh, Quantum of Solace, I actually enjoyed it a little bit more. It was like more of a popcorn flick for me. But mm-hmm. uh, Skyfall, yeah, it was like, wow, like this is like way too serious for James Bond. Like it was just got really dark. It had like the Dark Knight vibes, like psychotic villain, <laughs> like wanting to get captured. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then Casino Royale was like beautiful. Like, yeah. You watch that movie and you're like, I want to be a spy. You know, I want to like travel the world and do whatever I have to do. <laughs> but you know what's great about that first one is that it it has like touches of like the original, but it is still somewhat modern for the most part. And that's yeah. a beautiful thing. I, I really think, you know, in order for these characters to to continue, they need to have, you know, certain elements of its origin, but still uh, be allowed for room to have space to evolve. You know, if you're not allowing it to evolve to some degree, then, you know, 
it's, they won't necessarily continue with time. Mm -hmm. so. No, it's true, man. You have to always have the longevity. I always, you know, even when we do our projects, I'm always like, there has to be that rewatchability, right? You have to make it as if someone's going to rewatch it again. You know how, like, when you watch those movies, like the David Fincher movie, you rewatch it and you're like, wow, like, there's even more stuff you pull from it, or you just, it's more captivating because a character might say something or you notice subtle things in them. Like, I love that, the rewatchability aspect. Because that's how movies are intended to be, right? You, you, they're supposed to stand the test of time. As Tarantino oh, says, yeah. for a film like Django Unchained, he's like, he was saying his acceptance speech and he was like, I want to thank the actors for making my characters come to life because you made me um, feel confident they're going to last another 50, maybe 100 years. Because mm -hmm. he knows that, right? It, it, it's it, like you were saying, it's just, it's um, imperative that the, the story and the characters uh, resonate with the audience or at least leave a mark because they'll remember exactly. him forever, right? And not the wrong exactly. way. Like Ryan Reynolds, I like what he's doing. He's owning up to it with the whole Green Lantern and he makes fun of it, trashes it. Uh, and that's the only reason why we remember the character. But mm -hmm. if he just stopped making movies or did rom-coms after that, it'd be like, yeah, no one's thinking about that. Like kind of like Eric Bana's Hulk, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone's thinking now about Mark Ruffalo as Hulk, right? Like that's kind of how they connect it. Look at uh, Robert Downey Jr. with Iron Man. You know, even if they remake it and they do a different character, like he has to be as good, if not better, because I don't know who could who could take that role. You know what I mean? Well, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, listen, when when an, when an artist has come in and has made an imprint on on characters that we read about, you know, it's it's hard for us to see any other. And I think the next person who comes in to fill that shoe will have big shoes to fill. I think it'd be very hard. I think they're better off just not casting for like 10, 15 years. I'm glad you said that. My advice is for the studios, um, for the industry to meet, meet the artist halfway and not, you know, remake it in two years. Like wait, like give it a nice 10, I would say even 20 because the MCU is so vast. There's all these characters they want to do and you know, the lineup. My favorite is what if, because <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Like what if this didn't happen? And mm. it's like, you're just building off content off of that. But I, I, it's a joke me and my, me and another friend make, make tease about because uh, we feel um, the MCU uh, served his time. They did did amazing with Endgame, mm -hmm. like that was like kind of the end. And we're we're still gonna watch the content. I still do WandaVision and uh, the Falcon, but I don't know where where it's kind of headed. You know, I don't know what what they could do with it. But yeah, I think this um, is it. In their phase three, is it phase four? Phase three. Mm -hmm. Anyway, phase no phase four. We're in phase four now. Okay, phase four. Thank you. Um, so I'm really curious to see what kind of interest is gonna uh, going to be there for for fans in the shows and the new movies because you know for now, as far as I'm concerned, a lot of the main core cast that were there phase one necessarily won't be around very much like we've lost a, quite a few of them yeah the only people i can think of is uh thor because the guardians of the galaxy they're considered phase two they're not even phase one right yeah yeah so because they're doing a third one that's not until like 2022 20, 23 and then the thor 4 i'm pretty excited for i'll be honest because taika white td is returning um and he's joining uh, yeah, the guardians I'll, of the galaxy I'll touch that too so that'll be interesting yeah no because he's joining the guardians of the galaxy right they like their chemistry so yeah. those ones I don't mind. It's like, okay, let's see what, what happens. But again, other than that, like it's all fun now, but where is it going to lead? You know, is there a bigger villain that I'm not aware of than Thanos or is there someone 
Uh, was it, uh, was it uh, Galactus? Is that, is that Oh, the... Galactus, right, right. Yeah. Galactus, yeah. yeah. So... But uh, do you, before I go though, do you, uh, are, are you happy with DC Comics? Like the movies that are coming out? Like Wonder Woman 84, like, because I know you're a diehard fan, man. So I want to, I want to know your honest opinion. I'll be, I'll be very honest. Yeah. I, I did watch Wonder Woman uh, 1984 or 84, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it. Um, I, I don't know. What to, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I was speechless. I was speechless. To be I was it, speechless just, because, yeah. just because you know, I don't know if you've ever seen a movie. You saw the first one. You're like mm -hmm. almost like Star Wars in a bit, sort of. But like you, you know, you watch the first one, you're like, yes, oh, this is amazing. Can't wait to see the next installment. Everything was clicking, yeah. And then everything that made the first one great was kind of like ripped away. Mm -hmm. And there was other elements in there. I just, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a hard watch. It was a hard watch. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I didn't even bother. And I don't, and I don't know, and I don't know, I don't know if that's because there's like, there was a lot of studio uh, involvement. Meddling, in meddling, yeah. It, uh, yeah, so. Well, I was listening to um, I was listening to these reviewers, Red Letter Media, and they were saying that the, they believe the reason why it did poorly is because Patty Jenkins she directed the first one, right? But she didn't write it. There was another writer or a couple writers, but with this one, she wrote it and directed it um, because she felt confident she could tell the story. So what I'm saying is that that's a bit believable, not for Patty Jenkins. I don't know her talent, but I know for a fact that when directors sometimes will want to write and maybe they don't have experience again, back to what we were saying about um, how they're two different fields. You can have like a, an idea of how stories constructed and written, but actually execution is, is a completely different uh, animal. Right. Right. Even George Lucas, right? Like if you look at the original trilogy, that's always <laughs> no, right. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's i always say let's be honest here right they uh you know it's a very different um story very different dialogue than the prequels you know what i mean because he he yeah. chose to write them right isn't that so interesting Ugh. the first one new hope like to me that's like it's amazing and then I mean, I think I, I imagine because I mean, I wasn't old enough, but I imagine fans yeah. early two thousand when they heard like George Lucas was coming back to. to oh, there's a whole documentary on it. People versus George Lucas. It's crazy. People were excited, like yes. Yeah. And then you. I think episode one is considered still the most anticipated movie of the, in history because the <laughs> the trailer and this is before YouTube. The trailer was downloaded so many times. People would take off work um, to watch the movie. Um, or, or stand outside in line like it was crazy and then the movie was released and they're like what the hell but leading up to it they honestly were like going eight like they were going to tell the backstory like how Anakin and Obi-Wan met right and one guy was like explaining describing it like God's going to have to come up with something better because it's about to be <laughs> the end of the world or something <laughs> like you know what I mean like this guy was freaking out and, and I but you can relate to that you're like imagine if, imagine if we had a trilogy close to our hearts mm. that was like wow like you know they're gonna do the box because they hinted at certain things throughout like right. for, for store, world building world building right, right. but then it's like uh the creator comes back 20 years later like i'm trying to think of a, a trilogy or something that 
we would be that excited like to see the backstory and then like mm-hmm. it's it just not you know like the matrix imagine if the matrix they did like a prequel trilogy i don't think it would be as interesting but just to see like how everything like collapsed i don't mm. know it just wouldn't uh that would, that would be interesting it would be interesting but i'm saying imagine it not being executed the right way i know a lot of fans aren't too happy with the second and third um i'm looking forward to the fourth i'm curious what it's all about i hope it that, still had has the edge like that that's coming out this year right is it wow that'd be sick i thought they were filming this year is it, i'm not too sure if it's this filming this year, coming out this year so I'll just do a quick double check yeah do a double check all right yeah 2021 you're right december yeah, so. 23rd but you know what i mean by the edge is because the first two were made in like the late 90s early 2000s so it's like a certain mm. style to it so i'm afraid it's going to be too too much of a gap mm. you know what i mean like i don't know it's there's a feel to movies man like kind of like the original star wars there's a grit to it you know what i mean yeah. like a humanity because yeah. it was made in the 70s and 80s right um as opposed to with the prequels um, and it's funny because if you watch them in order, it's like, wait, why are we going back and forward in time? It's <laughs> a sequel trilogy, right? <laughs> it's like the most polished looking one compared to mm-hmm. the, the, the stories before it. They got to make a like an old Republic, like ancient star, ancient times, like Star Wars before the previous. Before, before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, no, because there's a huge, there's a rich history, like lore and people, oh, yeah. people that aren't fans are like, who cares? But yeah, I'd love to see that. Because people, you know, that are a fan of Star Wars, I don't know if they know this, but the Sith uh, one time were more powerful than the, than the Jedi. They actually were dominant. Like they had mm-hmm. more members and they, you know, would kind of ravage planets and um, they were forced to be reckoned with, which why the, the rule of two came about because mm-hmm. they abused that power and they ended up killing each other off. And then the Jedi naturally took over. Right. Um, but if it wasn't for that abuse of power, they'd, still be the dominant figure but that's why the rule of two exists with uh you know palpatine and you got uh plagueis the white wise is the whites or the wise <laughs> another check oh the two <laughs> I'm, a, I'm the worst star wars fan be worried only if they're fans like, what the <laughs> too funny wow i might have oh yeah plagueis the wise yeah thanks internet yeah so that's great man i'm glad i'm glad um you're doing well and you know you're still you're still staying creative as much as you can uh during these crazy times um i guess some days are better than others right yeah i mean i think i think right now the most important thing is just keeping your creative juices flowing whether writing something shooting something yeah you know so that's great man well, I had a really good time and um, thanks again for joining the podcast. Uh, plan to do more of these with you. Hey, anytime. Yeah. And I appreciate you having me on here. Really. It's, yeah. uh, it's amazing seeing you like trying something new. So, yeah, thank you, man. I'm, I'm trying to build. Um, I want people to know who we are, what we're all about. Um, if they have any questions, concerns, they can, you know, contact us through our socials. And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody.